0: Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food and Wine Pro. I am your host, Kat Kinsman, and my guest today is Sam Hellman-Moss of, oh, we're talking about your role here at Suerte in Austin, Texas.
1: Yeah, really happy to be here this morning and uh, catching up with you.
0: I would say welcome, but I'm actually sitting (laughs) in your restaurant. I can welcome you. That would be more appropriate. (laughs) Um, It's during South by Southwest here in Austin, and we met um, yesterday after a panel I was on about mental health. Um, And just to set the scene, we're in this incredibly gorgeous, uh, long, beautiful dining room that you're going to know a lot more about because by the time this launches, Mm. you will know that this is one of Food & Wine's best new restaurants of 2019. Congratulations.
1: Thank you so much uh, to the whole team. Uh, I'm just really proud of everyone and the work they put in and um, making good food every day and giving people good experiences here. So thank you.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, the first thing that happened, I walked through the door and it's, you know, showed up here at 830 in the morning. Um, it's, it's really a lovely place to be here during the day. And you would think, oh, a restaurant would be quiet at 830 in the morning. But no, the kitchen is bustling and hustling. Could you talk a little bit about what's going on in there right well, now? I'm
1: glad we took a few minutes to um, just say hi to the folks that are getting to work in the morning, making all this stuff, because... I I hope you could feel just there's a good energy of, you know, the place is humming and everyone's kind of doing their thing and is happy to be here. No one's stressed out. Everyone's in a good spot. And, yeah, I don't know, just getting ready for the day has that, you know, South by is a really fun time. There's lots of people in town in the food world and all the films going on. So I think it's just it's a lot of fun. and, And the restaurant has a it always has a good energy. But South by brings a whole different energy to the whole city. And, you know, we get a bit of that. So it's fun.
0: So we, uh, you know, it, it's funny. We we talked through kind of what everybody is doing back there. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, the process that started last night that is going on today?
1: Last night? and t- Oh, the, the making the masa for yeah, the tortillas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so
0: this does not happen. I'll just note this. Maybe this happens in Austin. does not uh-huh. happen at restaurants uh-huh. in New York City so much.
1: Uh, so, yeah, the foundation of a lot of our cooking is... Um, taking, you know, what I think is the backbone of Mexican cuisine and trying to pay attention to every detail on the process from, you know, where the dried corn is coming from, um, to the end. And so what we do is, uh, we get the corn from, uh, Barton Springs mill and Richardson forms, uh, farms, both heirloom corns grown in Texas. Uh, we boil it overnight with, uh, calcium oxide and water. That process is called nixtamalization.
0: I love that word. <laughs> it's
1: a super, super big word. Um, and then we let it sit for six to eight hours or overnight, really. And in the morning, we rinse the corn, um, and then grind it through the molino, which is a wet mill that uses two volcanic stones to grind the corn. And then we add a little bit of uh, water and salt, and that's the, the masa. And then, you know, from that kind of uh, beautiful product, we make uh, tortillas, clayuras, quesadillas, sopes, pupusas, memelas, horaches. Gollos, like all the, all the vocabulary of, uh, many of the, the vocabulary of Mexican cuisine is things that are made from uh, masa. So that's a little about what we're passionate about.
0: And this is Mexican food, but you're using Texas ingredients. This is not Tex-Mex, but at the yeah, same time. There's so
1: when people ask me what kind of food is it, um, I think the short answer is that it's Mexican food. Uh, but Fermin uh, Nunez, who's the chef of Suerte and the kitchen team, really, they bring their own creativity. Uh, Fermin and I traveled around. Fermin is Mexican. He's born in uh, Torreon and has spent a lot of his life traveling between uh, Mexico and Texas. Um, we traveled a bit around Mexico. Uh, we had the chance, you know, before we opened to go to Oaxaca, Puebla, Cholula, San Cristobal, Merida, Mexico City. Uh, he went to some other places as well, like Toluca and um, you know, not with the idea of copying what anyone was doing that down there, but I think your ability to create is, is always inspired by the experiences you have. So we were just in search of delicious things that we were excited by. And so, you know, Suerte is a, a Mexican restaurant, but it's in East Austin and Um, a lot of my background in in the industry is as a chef and it was always very obvious to me that like your meal starts with like your shopping list of where you're getting the vegetables and fruits Mm -hmm. and meats and fish from so we pay a lot of attention to cooking seasonally because that's Mm -hmm. where the most tasty things come from so we combine this you know masa that we make every day and tortillas that are pressed to order and served warm from the first time they're cooked with mexican cooking techniques and fermin and the team's creativity and the local ingredients and that suerte
0: oh my god i i you know i was walking through um you know you were you, you introduced me to the the team this morning and it's great i felt bad that i you know we had to turn down the ramones <laughs> <laughs> that everybody's kind of jamming out to it's still going a little bit just yeah. a little quieter but. and it's <laughs> you know it's a really good vibe that is set in there and i liked that um you know this uh, so we met yesterday i was um lucky enough to be on a panel about empathetic kitchens and and mental health and something we talked about in the pre-interview of it was about setting a tone for the kitchen about you, you know, walk in every day and say hello to people. You look them in the eye and you did that. And it was, it was such an indicator to me that you immediately said, come on, let's meet the team. You said hello to everybody and everybody's engaged in their task, but you know, with, with each other. And there's just, it was just a really good vibe.
1: We work hard on it and um, it's not perfect. You know, there's 60 people that work here. So there's always, something that needs our attention to try to keep everything going as well as it can and yeah. to make sure everyone is in a position to be um, a successful uh, member of the team. Yeah. And it's not perfect, but I think that part of it, I really enjoy. The people mm-hmm. part of it um, can be challenging and also really rewarding to um, watch people grow. And um, yeah, it's, we pay attention to it.
0: Yeah and and it shows because like I you can tell you know I talk to a lot of chefs and yeah. you can tell the ones who give credit where credits due because they're not afraid to shout out like, hey, here's the person who makes the thing and you should know them and you should know their, their their name. And that is a really important thing that I think gets washed out in a lot of kind of narrative around food. Like, yes, there are, you know, the people who are up front, but then there are hands back there making those tortillas. Can you talk a little bit about how you found the, the people to work in that kitchen?
1: The, so the first um, woman who helped us uh, make tortillas, her name was Leticia. I haven't thought about it in a little bit. I hope she, so she um, was here for a little while and moved uh, back to Honduras. And I think she, I don't know, like for me, put an ad out on somewhere and she just kind of showed up and had never made tortillas before in her life
0: away. Oh, and she's just Yeah, like... we
1: had this day when we got the whole opening team and the staff and everybody stood up one at a time and said their name and what they do in the restaurant. And so it was like, I'm, my name is Sam and, you know, I'm the, the founder and started the restaurant and for me, and the chef, and like one at a time, who they're like, I'm so-and-so, I'm a waiter, I'm a bartender. And it got around to her and she said, she speaks a little bit of English, said, my name is Leticia and then she switched to Spanish. She goes, and yo hago las tortillas and everybody started clapping <laughs> for her. And she, she, was, she got really teary-eyed because yeah. I don't think she had felt the pride of, of a job and, and feeling so valued like that. But, um, you know i hope that she comes back to uh work one day she has a, a son and that she went home to um uh look after and she's just one of these magical people that had such a positive attitude and that was right away clearly very smart and competent and good at whatever mm-hmm. um task came her way so i just i i think time and again you know the, for us and i hope if You know if you're doing something good that somehow the right person shows up at the right time and like we were lucky enough that this lady leticia just like walked in and was like i'm gonna do it and she then trained some of the other folks that made tortillas for us and so we we met the all the folks that um that make tortillas i don't think there's one way just different someone knows someone or an ad that we put out um Yeah, they're really, I think making masa is an artisan craft that's as nuanced and challenging as making world-class pasta in a Michelin star restaurant or naturally leavened bread or sushi. Um, And we try to put that much care into it, you know?
0: So let's actually talk about that for a second because I know it's different here in Austin of because where you are geographically and because of the population, but you get a little bit further away and people have a notion of Mexican food as this cheap thing. As That's this. still way here too. Okay, so how do you get people to value this thing that for some reason of ignorance of... of I, bad marketing, something like that, that they they don't see as an artisan craft.
1: I uh, Well, one thing I want to s- say is just that I'm by far not the first person to kind of blaze that trail, that there's been a lot of really uh, talented um, chefs and writers. Like I went to the screening of Diana Kennedy's movie last night. Oh, That was screened yeah. for South by Southwest. Amazing story. I think she's been telling that story about how valuable and precious Mexican food is for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of people in mexico and in america you know folks like rick bayless uh alex Stupak has been very vocal about um the value of 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 or the perception Mm -hmm. or lack thereof from some people that mexican food is cheap like you say and for us it's like we kind of try to be a little not so in your face about it where i don't know i guess i'll get there in a roundabout way of saying When trying to talk to people about why we source ingredients from local farmers, you can beat people with the truth hammer of like, it's (laughs) better for you. It's better for the world and the soil and the environment Mm -hmm. and the local economy. And that truth hammer just makes people feel like shit about themselves. And it's a much more compelling hook into why people should eat local food to be like, here's a taco. Right. Don't tell them this carrot is from this farm this is but like and when they eat it and they're like this is so good why yeah then that's your hook and to say well the tortilla is so good because the corn is heirloom corn that's different from you know most of the high fru- the corn that's turned into high fructose corn syrup for sodas and mm-hmm. stuff and so for us with 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 showing the people that mexican food is valu- valuable and as valuable as anything else just based on the quality of what you eat is like we just try hard to make it really good and we hope you like it and certainly we get a few comments of people that are like can't believe it's so expensive I like the the taco truck much better than than this place and people are entitled to have that opinion it's a it's a subjective world and folks are entitled to like what they like but I think we just try really hard to make it delicious and enjoyable and I think more people recognize that than don't.
0: I wonder... I I mean I'm I'm fairly sure that sometimes people devalue the food because they devalue the people behind it and the and and the they devalue immigrants <laughs> they devalue uh the, the human lives behind that
1: it's always been very important to me like in these challenging times uh politically that it's like I want everyone to be able to come together in this place and like see how fun it is to enjoy delicious food made by people that care and people that may not be from here and mm-hmm. um, uh, make it a place for love you know
0: yeah I mean that's always such a, a complicated uh, thing and I think honestly especially with this po- didn't mean to get political here but here, yeah. but it's unavoidable and I guess we have to talk about it um, that uh, we often run into the situation where people like love the food don't you know don't love the people and you know maybe it is one of those things where there's you know some sort of bridge you know that we get wrapped up in this touchy feel feely notion of like oh you know food brings everybody together and in some ways it it does but it's also a really i think you know a good place to have a conversation uh, around this and we're better than a taco honestly. yeah whatever
1: your political views are uh-huh. um i hope that this is a place that makes people feel like uh, food and culture and cuisine and enjoying that, it makes your life richer.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. Austin is a place where a lot of people come together for a whole lot of different reasons. You know, I'm here for South by Southwest and, you know, and I've only ever experienced it through the lens of South by Southwest. Um, You know, I've, I've come here a few different times for jobs and I, you know, pop into the restaurants and, and stuff. Is it a, a, a town where, you know, these, Th- this kind of food that you're doing is is valued or have you had to train people sort of into, you know, mindset of like you sit down and, and you have the taco and you have the, you know, the other food as opposed to like grabbing it from a
1: truck or any- I think that we, like it's a pretty approachable, fun place. Yeah. It's it, not the cheapest restaurant, but it's not crazy expensive and prohibitively, like the, the barrier to entry to come eat here is... Is is this nothing is, insane? You know? Is, I'm
0: looking around. This is not a fancy neighborhood. This there's uh, I'm looking out the window and there's construction going on, outside, and it's a really beautiful space that seems like, you know, it has, uh, you know, probably warehouse roots, or or was this built from scratch, or was so, it?
1: So, a bit of the story of Austin, east of I-30. This is called East Austin. Okay. Um, part of the history of Austin is that 35 was the line of segregation. Oh wow. Okay. Where if you were and I don't know all the history. So this is as I understand it, and I'd love to continue learning myself, but if you were black or Brown and you lived West of 35, the city would not give you city services. So this became, you know, the Hispanic and, and black cultural neighborhood of, of Austin. Uh, but you can see the proximity from downtown is so close that it's, you know, it's changed rapidly over the last, uh, 10, 15 years, five, 10, 15 years. And, um, Yeah, I think from the outside looking in, a lot of people would have thought that, you know, us opening what a lot of people consider to be an expensive Mexican restaurant in East Austin would have been an easy target. Um, I think people recognize that we're putting a lot of heart and soul into this, and most people uh, appreciate that. I think Fermín, um, being uh, Mexican and living in Austin, um, it's like, it's it's hard to say we're doing something with bad intentions, you know? Uh, Yeah, no. The food is it's a it's not stuff that you need to put your thinking cap on to, to enjoy mm-hmm. but we put a lot of creativity into the salsas and the dishes yeah but it's not intimidating or like uh, a mental exercise of like, what am I eating? It's just, I think, a really fun place to be, yeah, and a and a delicious place to be.
0: Well, and let's talk about this place too, because also when I walked in, you were telling me the story of you know things on the on the walls and objects and things, and they're all talk talk about how you you were saying that you you and for me um, traveled yeah. and met people and yeah. their hands are in this restaurant yeah. in a really important way. Talk me through some objects.
1: So if the food is a story of. Uh, Mexico, Inspiration, and East Austin and the team we have. And I think the space tells a little bit of the same story where in kind of creating a space that was a Mexican restaurant, but, you know, this is a modern building. It used to be called uh, Dario's, and it was from the 70s. The building was built in the 70s, and it was kind of like a monstrous CMU brick rectangle and uh, worked with a great design team, architects Matt Garcia, Bart Watley, and a woman named Allison um Burke on uh collaborating on some of the design and I was really intimidated about doing something that was modern design because the projects that i had been a part of before were all reclaimed wood and I was like it has to be recycled <laughs> materials yeah and Matt pushed me really hard about like not making this place be the same and I didn't want um a modern space to feel like cold and not full of life mm-hmm. some people do that really well but sometimes they can yeah. be a little austere um And for us, that came down to working with people that we met while traveling in Mexico that, you know, if you make beautiful ceramics in Mexico, it may not have to look like a traditional, what people think of as the kind of cliche Mexican patterns. Because if you make it in Mexico, by virtue of that, it's Mexican. Right. So if you go to a restaurant in Mexico City, you can just do design without being like overly Mexican. But in the U.S., a lot of places, you know, borrow from... no judgment but just I think this place is is, we're doing a little bit of something different and we've worked with a lot of talented artisans from our friend Arturo that weaves uh fabric in Oaxaca that was actually designed by a woman in upstate New York named Sarah Burks um and you know ceramics made by a friend of ours in Oaxaca and um a lot of glassware blown out in Hidalgo by people that we met and and then collaborating with artists in East Austin like the my friend Aaron who did the door and Uh, Brockett, who did all the custom bar stools, and another person named Mark who did the tabletops. And so just working with people that are now friends that I think collaborated on was a really fun space.
0: Let's talk about this light fixture that's above our heads.
1: (laughs) So um, we bought all these old uh, mezcal jugs, or garafones, is the word in Espanol, and we bought them at like flea markets in Oaxaca. And my wife is from Tampico. Which is funny. People find out uh, that I'm married to um, Roxana, who is Mexican, and that all makes sense to them. It's like, oh, you started a, a Mexican restaurant because you married a <laughs> woman who's Mexican. Which is funny because that's not how it uh, happened. I was already—I was <laughs> already like super obsessed with Mexican food. and We met at a party, um, and so we bought all these old uh, mezcal jugs in in Oaxaca and shipped them to the border. And Roxana had a friend that lives in Laredo that has a logistics company, and they crossed the stuff. On the, on, uh, like on the border. That's what they do as a logistics company. And we had a friend who has a food distribution company called Farm to Table, and we borrowed a box truck. One of his delivery trucks drove to Laredo and picked up like all this stuff. Yeah. And then a local fabricator um, named uh, Litmus is their company. They did all the metal work and turned mm-hmm. the objects that we brought up from Oaxaca into a light. And there's little LEDs um, inside the... Like he designed it, and so yeah.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's I, I, again. I wish, uh, you know. Maybe I hope we're painting a decent word picture <laughs> for you of, of the space. Um, the fabric is so evident throughout. It's on panels that might be also for sound, but that is. Yeah, stuff. all the
1: art on the well, it's, it, it's become the art on the wall, uh, but it's backed with, um, acoustical material, and again a true collaboration there where. It was kind of noisy when we first opened and definitely wanted to solve that. And uh, my architect and good friend, Matt Garcia, came up with the concept of these panels on the wall and Mm -hmm. using different uh, fabrics. And then we reached out to Sarah, uh, the woman who designed the fabrics that were produced in Mexico, and we found the designs. And then my friend Brockett, who's the fabricator, like made the wooden frames bought the acoustical material stretched the fabric over it and it's the art on the wall I think they turned out really cool yeah
0: I love that when you know I love Bauhaus design and and you know form and function it's you know and and that seems like that's really uh, a, a thoughtful element of this brand. I think that's
1: a part of opening a restaurant where like you can't do every detail ahead of time like we didn't know what the art on the wall was going to be and we didn't nor did we have like the budget to go out and like tell someone like you know, let's put some really cool art on the wall, but it turned into this, which I think is really fun and definitely helps with uh, with the sound when there's 150 people in here.
0: Wow! Yeah, it's a, you said opening a restaurant, so you let's talk about where you came from.
1: Yeah, where, where do you want to start? Well, where where is the first place you cooked? First place I cooked ever. Let me think about that. Um, I think the ground round. In Needham, Massachusetts, <laughs> if you've ever heard of the Ground Round. I sure have, yeah. was the first place that I cooked. How old were you? 16.
0: Okay. And what made you do Actually,
1: that? well, that and uh, a place called the Green Street Grill from a chef named Mark Romano, who now has a couple of restaurants. My mom was a, 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 a mental health professional at Cambridge City Hospital. Mm-hmm. And she had a f- her friend's wife's husband's brother... owned this restaurant in Cambridge called uh, the Green Street Grill in Central Square and they were serving Jamaican food and I love cooking since I was like 14 or 15 Okay. and they were like I wasn't a particularly good student and I had all this passion and my mom was like go do something you like or I wanted to do something and they were just happy to see Mm -hmm. me apply myself to anything and so I would take the train to go work for free one day a week when I was in high school to work for Mark Romano like peeling plantains and putting rice and beans on the plate or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Um, I think, I wonder how he saw me. It was like some kid <laughs> just like taking the train in who didn't know anything. But I guess it didn't take me that long to be useful enough that I wasn't wasting his time.
0: Yeah, not in the way, not the Yeah. <laughs> and where did you go from there?
1: I grew up in uh, Newton, which is just outside of Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, I did culinary arts in high school and then worked, um, yeah, the ground round, the Green Street Grill. I used to help East Coast Grill uh, catering. That was a lot of fun. Uh, That's pretty well-known chef. Chris Schlesinger owned that place for a long, long time. Um, Then I worked in Chicago a little bit. Where were you there? Uh, Spiaggia.
0: Oh, yeah. So many good people have, have come through him.
1: I they... worked there for a summer as an extern in the banquets for uh, Missy Robbins. <gasps> uh,
0: yeah, I am a huge Missy Robbins she's fan. She's amazing and yeah.
1: was an incredible chef when I was there, and I was super lucky to have crossed paths with her for a brief uh, brief time. I um, used to
0: work upstairs from Avoce, so I got to know Missy really well. She's killing it in New York. So
1: killing it. Um, and yeah, I went to college in Boston and studied finance and always with the goal of like trying to open my own restaurant one day. And that was the first time in my life in school that I like applied myself because I was like, I'm here because I want to be. And because this is furthering what I say I want to do, which is opening a restaurant. And, uh, so I worked as in the industry in the summers. Yeah. Um, and I went to school and, uh, after college I took a job working in the front of the house for a really busy Italian restaurant in the south end of Boston called Stella. Um, left, moved to Aspen, got a job at the Little Nell Hotel. Yeah. Which was a lot of fun. Very lucky to cross paths with some great chefs there. Ryan Hardy, who's in New York city.
0: And, um, on the panel yesterday was, um, Andy Chabot had yeah.
1: worked there. <laughs> and, uh, Steve Redzikowski was a big mentor from Denver and Boulder. Um, and then uh, moved down here to help Bryce open uh, Barley Swine almost 10 years ago, the small one on South Lamar. and then uh, I was day-to-day chef there, and um, we opened that business with very little money, so I put a little bit of money in, so I was a small investor, and then we opened Odd Duck with with four other partners, Um, and then I stepped outside of uh, that partnership to start um, Suerte.
0: So you're not the chef
1: here. Not the chef here.
0: How's that
1: feel? (laughs) It feels great. I mean, I loved cooking, and, and it gave me so much for a long, long time, and I think I'll always uh, partially identify myself, perhaps, as a chef. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was – well, firstly, I can say Fermin has taken the food here far better than, than I could have. Yeah. He's such an inspiring person and a great leader uh, and a great chef and very lucky that, you know – I had the dream of starting a restaurant uh, based around making masa from heirloom corn. And, like, so this place that we're in um, was for sale. Yeah. The building and the property for a while. And I was looking for real estate to to do this project and went here for an art show for East Austin Studio Tours and I wrote it off because I was like it's too big it's in really bad condition the landlord it was for lease or for sale they weren't it was expensive I was like yeah like can't do anything there went here for this art show and was like man this place has good soul like I love the location I'd never been inside I'd just been out from outside and I was like it has good bones like I feel like this could be great so I made an offer to buy the property and we called the, the the broker who was selling it they said it's been on the market for six months um we have three other offers, so if you're serious, you have to give us the offer tomorrow because we're going to decide on Monday. This was like on a Friday. So the broker wrote the offer up for $5,000 over the asking price. All I had was the earnest money to sign the contract. Wow. That's it. Okay. The, bro- the, the seller accepted my offer because he owned some other property in the area and had heard of the other restaurants I was a part of okay. and thought that, like, that I was possibly going to do something good here that would be good for the neighborhood. And once he picked the offer, all I had was the earnest money and like I don't know if you know from buying a house or how all that works like I basically had 45 days before all my earnest money went hard and if I didn't come yeah. up with all the money to close in the property I'd lose basically all the money I would saved and that was really stressful I God. got physically sick I was like yeah let's talk through that to march down to the finish line of like doing it but at the time I didn't even like I didn't have a chef and I was like this is what I say that I wanted with my life since I was 15 was to own a restaurant oh, and I was like if I'm not gonna force myself to do this opportunity, I'm gonna regret it forever because I don't know if I'm gonna get this chance again. Um, and before we circle back, and I'm curious to answer whatever questions you have about what that time was like, but you know, I think it was very lucky that I started talking to Fermin. After I put the clothes on the deal to buy yeah. the property, I pretty much immediately sat down with Fermin and was like, hey, do you wanna be a part of this? And I think it's really rare when you find that our Like his dream, the food that he wanted to cook, like creative Mexican food, masa with local ingredients was like really the same as what I saw for this place. And so I think this is also his dream in in many ways. And I'm so just excited for him and to see where he's at and all the great, you know, things he's doing. How did you come together with him? So in the early days of Barley Swine, he... Um, He was the sous chef at La Condesa, which was another well-known restaurant. He had a good job. Couldn't, like, didn't want to leave that job. We were never hiring. The original Barley Swine was so small. There was no, like, job openings. But he kind of wanted in on what we were doing. Yeah. Just wanted to, like, be in on it. And he would come and stage or work for free on his day off just to, like, just to hang and see what we were up Mm -hmm. to. And I remember, like, sitting outside and having a beer after work and just talking with him. And then he went on to help uh, Rene Ortiz, another well-known chef, open Launderette and just a few people like left odd duck to help open that restaurant and he just cl- became clear that he was like he was different you know yeah talented special guy
0: partnerships are fascinating because when it really gels it really gels but it takes work to have a partnership, how did the two of you because you know this is part of you know we've launched Food and wine Pro, which is for people in business yeah. and, and things how do you manage that partnership day to day because you can have all the respect in the world you can have uh, you know uh, you can have a friendship, you can have a business partnership but at, you know at the end of all of this it has to work for the business. How do you negotiate conflict when this happens?
1: We just get along pretty well. I mean, we both care about each other, so it starts there. That like we both want the the best for each other individually and for the restaurant. And sharing mm-hmm. that common goal is like that's just very clear that that that's what we care about. Is you know everybody that works here, uh, including ourselves in the mm-hmm. in the place. Um, our yeah, for me is a very um, relaxed person, and mm-hmm. he solves problems and. Figures stuff out, and I think he appreciates, you know, where my heart is, and always trying to push and make this place better. And I think my, I've I've learned my strengths and weaknesses over time. I think yeah. a weakness is like I can be annoying. <laughs> I get obsessed with things, and like sometimes he doesn't have time to talk to me about whatever it is. That's <laughs> like Next I'm a, yeah, whatever it is that like I'm on that day that like I really want to talk about. But he's just really graceful about um, one thing. I learned from him is no matter. Uh what anyone brings him, he's always just very graceful about how he responds and, and the energy he puts back into it. So I don't know, it's just we got a good thing going.
0: Let's come to that word grace, um, because that is not usually a word that is associated with restaurants and restaurant culture, but there's no reason it shouldn't be. What is the role of, of, of grace in um in managing a team and having a team come together?
1: I think the more I um, manage or lead or talk and help or deal with people, humans, is like I think the thing that often gets the best result is if you can just clearly say what you want someone to do in words and, like, leave the emotion or the intensity or the that stuff out of it as much as possible and just, like, I don't know, doing that effectively, I, maybe you could use the word grace for that. I'm not, I'm getting better at it. It's something I work on a lot, but yeah. just saying, like, if you can find a way to articulate what you want someone to do or change or do more of, or do Mm -hmm. less of so that they hear it the way you want them to, like that works. And grace as well in terms of, you know, the kitchen or serving or bartending. I think part of the restaurant business is like, I think to be really great, you have to find joy in these repetitive tasks and finding a way to do it better every time, even after you've done it every day for years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love all the manual labor of restaurant stuff. Like I love slicing 50 pounds of onions for caramelized onions or polishing glassware or mm-hmm. bussing tables and wiping tables off. Like I, I it, and doing when you see someone that's like really good at whatever that part yeah. of their craft is in the business. I think you see them move with grace.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is something, um, you know, I keep referring to this essay that Ashley Christensen, uh, wrote, but it was such a powerful thing about, um, management and accepting your, your vulnerabilities and stuff. But a lot of it was about, she, she's often talked about people get promoted out of the thing that they're good at. And sadly, they, as she says, like they are promoted to their point of incompetence or something when really it should be celebrated. If you are a person who is a craftsperson and, Artisan who is really good at doing that same thing every day. So, how do you? celebrate that the people who like they're the person who makes you know the masa they are the person who makes the tortillas they are the person who does this particular thing and do it well how do you keep them happy in in doing that thing and not I mean you want people to grow obviously if they want to be somebody who moves up in restaurants maybe wants to have something of their own can you talk about identifying the people who are you know very content in doing the thing that they are versus you know identifying that person who wants like hey I want to move up on the line I want to move do this you know help teach me
1: think everybody's different um that can be tough when someone's really valuable in something that they're doing and they're super good at it and they should I think one is you tell them how much you appreciate them yeah um the way you framed it like people get promoted to the point of incompetence is like I don't know that's I think that can be tricky because you want people to grow but you also want them to be in a position to be successful yeah and it's not always a bad thing when you promote someone that's their first time being a sous chef that's a hard role yeah when you have to shave change your mindset from like i'm gonna be the best at what i'm responsible for to like i can have the greatest impact if i improve the skills of the people around me and a lot of times when people are in that position as a sous chef for the first time they get very frustrated yeah that they're not getting the response that that they would be if they were the one doing everything yeah um, and I think you gotta hang in there with people you gotta stick with them when they're having challenges uh, because maybe they'll push through that wall and go from incompetent to super competent yeah but you gotta sometimes that can be and there's no f- formula for that it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: sometimes it's talking to that chef who's having a problem in their own head about feeling like the people aren't listening to them. Sometimes it's talking to the line cook about how they're taking the feedback from the sous chef. And Mm -hmm. I think you got to, at least for us, you know, we have one restaurant. We just announced that we're working on another project.
0: Congratulations. Thank
1: you. It'll be a bit because, you know, it (laughs) just takes a while. But, you know, we're around here a lot. Yeah. Paying attention to, like, who needs what. What is the, where does our focus need to be? Does it need to be on this person or that person or sourcing or changing the menu? And usually there's just, there's some, there's some part of the people that work here that needs a bit of our attention to like keep everyone in a position to be doing great.
0: Yeah. So I, I have a friend who's got a, a, a couple of restaurants and he was realizing there was some conflict in the kitchen and they were sort of unable to sorted out and uh, you know they finally actually got somebody there were two guys who just couldn't get along couldn't get along couldn't get along and finally they got somebody in their account and they have a mental health counselor like actually on staff which wow. i think is incredible for sure yeah they realized they needed to get somebody in there who was bilingual and it turned out that these two guys were just from different neighboring towns in mexico and there was historical beef between their towns and like once they uh, sorted that out totally fine and amazing and then they made it a requirement that uh, you know there were certain like you know key people on staff who are bilingual because that's just the fair thing to do and i noticed as you know we're walking through there you know different languages being spoken and and things so talk to me about like the importance of especially being in in austin in texas of like having a bilingual kitchen
1: i think it's hugely important yeah Uh, my spanish is okay and it's getting better but you know when i communicate with folks who uh spanish is their first language, I can't do it as well as, uh, Fermin who's, yeah. you know, Fermin is super bilingual. He speaks fluent English and Spanish. Yeah. And I think to, to be able to, to lead and help someone, the language is, is huge because there's so much nuance and communication yeah. of like how someone receives the feedback about whether it's their behavior or the task they're performing. But so they they hear it in a positive way. Like I think about how hard I try to make the right word choices when I do that in English. And I just, I don't have the command of the Spanish language to do that in Spanish. And so depending on the level of the conversation, I'll always bring someone in uh, who really can communicate on, on that level if uh if it's you know something that's a bit delicate
0: yeah i just i th- it, it's just something that i think about a lot and i you know after sort of hearing that story and i was thinking it needs to be more supported in in kitchens because like i you know most kitchens i imagine in in new york by tri quad or something like that and having a a common ground for that is so important and uh, you know i've been in I, I you know i haven't traveled super extensively but like when i've been in kitchens in copenhagen it's so interesting because like people
1: from all over the world, yeah.
0: Right? you have to sort of figure out like what that common ground is, but it's so important to be sort of met on your level too. So yeah, I was curious to see like, you know, like working on your Spanish and things because like the onus, I think I feel like the onus is on the, the um, like on the management, on the owners and stuff like that to learn the language of the people working for them. And
1: learning language is challenging it's so to hard. get to it on that level where yeah. you can have nuanced conversations with people. Yeah, is no. I feel like I, the only thing that would take my Spanish to the next level is I would have to live in Mexico or somewhere that speaks yeah. Spanish. Cause I'm stuck on this point where like, you can't really learn how to talk like on that level from an academic standpoint, yeah. you got to learn it to, to really like be in it. So yeah, if I, I could move to Mexico for six months, I think I'd speak.
0: Yeah. It's, and it's something that you know, I always think that I want to, you know, challenge myself on. I always kick, kick myself for taking high school French instead <laughs> of Spanish. I'm like, what the hell did I, I mean, it's like, it's never, it's with, it's like, never too schedule. late,
1: but I feel like it's, it's hard, but the other side of like how amazing it is that people find a way to communicate, yeah. even if you don't speak the language. Like, yeah. there's let's
0: talk about culture challenges that. But like, yeah.
1: when your back's against the wall, and that's the only choice you have, is to figure out how to work with someone. Like, mm. you find a way. Body language, body language, <laughs> gestures, showing, like whatever words you do know in common. Yeah. Like Google Translate, like whatever it is, yeah. like you figure out. Um, a way to do it.
0: Yeah, I think there's so much nonverbal communication that goes on in, in a kitchen that's got to be so important and and thoughtful. Let's talk about mental health um, here because yeah. you you had. Um, Mentioned yesterday when we met that you were uh, doing something really pretty special for your year. We're coming up on by the time you hear this, uh, it will this will have passed. But we're coming up upon your year anniversary, and you're doing something really special for it.
1: Yeah, this uh, has been an incredible, you know, year for us getting the restaurant open and um, getting recognized uh, successfully by some really. Um, things that are a dream for anyone who's in the industry. And I wanted to celebrate, you know, it's been a great year for us by giving back to some things that we believe in. And it was important to me to do something in Mexico and something in Austin. So in Mexico, uh, we're throwing a, wa- a party to celebrate our first Yay. year, uh, March 25th. We invited some friends from other restaurants in town to collaborate on tacos with us, and um, a good friend named Clemente Castillo, who is the lead singer of a band called Jumbo, and he has some solo projects. Is going to spin vinyl records and uh. have a bolero trio at night, and we're going to have beer, wine, and cocktails. And Throw a big party.
0: I wish I was here, like a week or two later. Yeah, we're going to to the door <laughs> for
1: 50 bucks. I'll fly you back if you can make it, and. Uh, and we're going to raise money for something in Mexico and something in East Austin. In Mexico uh, there's a woman who started a mezcal company called Real Monero where uh, they make amazing mezcal and she's starting a library uh, in Oaxaca called Biblioteca El Rosario and we're gonna support the the library um, which you know helps is trying to improve education and access to education in rural communities in Oaxaca. Um, Her name is Graciela Angeles and she's a very inspiring lady and in Austin I won't, it, it just kind of became um, something that well, we're going to try to support mental health for people in yeah. restaurants and bars in Austin inspired by two longtime customers of every restaurant in Austin named Mike and Sherry you know they um, their family in many ways is the extended family of the people they go out to eat every night and they have uh, relationships and friendships with all the people that work in the restaurants. And we had someone going through a challenging time here and I reached out to Mike and said, hey, can you talk to this person and see how we can get them performing at their best again? Because I know him really well for many, many years and like, I wanna see this work and I know they're capable of being outstanding. And Mike really helped this person. And for me, that was an eye opener to say like, hey, like, And in the year that we've been open, there's been many people on our staff that have had big time life challenges that we've done our best to be a positive uh, anchor of support for folks in, you know, whatever they're going through. Okay,
0: let's break that down because, uh, again, people listening to this, they want to they want to do this for their restaurants they want to do this for the employees they don't know how um they they don't they're afraid to have the conversation they don't know okay we've had the conversation how do I support this person what are and without obviously without identifying anybody um how do you address a
1: situation well I think one just in terms of if as a manager or a leader in any restaurant or chef front of the house you always get better results I feel like from people if you if they can tell that first you care about them as a person before about their job performance and you know whether or not someone gets to continue working here because of something going on outside of their life they should just know first and foremost that like the most important thing to me is like that you're good you know yeah and uh I still don't know how like I don't think I have an answer for like how to be there or help people but I think
0: what have you whenever
1: done? stuff comes up you sit down and you're yeah. like what's up like let's, let's talk and that's always every conversation like that is different but I think you gotta listen to what's going on in someone's life and see you know one th- this, is a, this is a business we can't be yeah. everyone's parents right but we can be good friends we can be good listeners we can be supportive we can try to help people as much as we can and that's what that's what the intention is. Yeah. And I don't feel like it's like complete or that we've done it. It's yeah. just, you know, we're always just one at a time trying to do our best by everybody.
0: What does help look like? Does it, is it a day off? Is it a, like, Hey, here's some money. Is it a, Hey, maybe go talk to this counselor.
1: Any of those. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. All, yeah. I mean,
0: it was, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I've been doing, uh, interviews around town, these podcasts yeah. and stuff. And, Austin is every, you know, I've only been here a couple times, but I, I, when I have come, I have absolutely fallen in love with the, uh, the chef community, the restaurant community here. The first time I came here was during South by Southwest some years back and we threw, um, I was at CNN at the time and we used to host these dinners that were, we would invite people, not tell them what it was for <laughs> and, uh, have a chef, um, And, uh, you know, sit down around a table, get together, you know, musicians, artists, activists, farmers, producers, um, you know, CNN talent and and have a conversation about what food meant in that particular city. And I came here. um, I asked my friend Brian Cowswell, you know, who who do you know? Like great, great chef from uh, Houston. He's been a pal of mine for a long time and said, who do you have in Austin? And he said, Zach Northcutt who, um, I don't remember where he was working at the time, but um, really, really great thing. And he said, this isn't an Austin meal unless I have my friends cook with me. And he had somebody make the tortillas. Somebody else was making, uh, you know, the the meat, the vegetables, the all the different courses. You know, had a, a you know another bartender come in. Had um, Philip Spear was doing one of uh, the desserts, and Plinio, like totally blanking on his last name, um, you know, did another one of the desserts. But it really felt like this communal yeah. effort. And I know some people in that story, if I I have just told, have been through some stuff since then. And uh, I think
1: all of that is. <laughs> underlying the the need and the want the desire that that i and we have to as we think about celebrating our one year to do something that gives back to the community of really talented people um from dishwashers to line cooks to servers and bartenders and front of the house managers like restaurants get asked all the time to donate or participate in charity Mm -hmm. events but and in other cities, there's people that are I think it's, it's a wave that's coming up you're yeah. a huge part of it with chefs with issues, but like doing something for the people that work in the industry. Yeah, We were very fortunate to meet. I met the, the folks from Capital area Counseling, which is an income- based uh, mental health. Yeah, talk um, about this. This is amazing. And they do income based counseling where they sustain themselves totally through their operations. So they don't they're not in this constant fundraising um, mode. Their appointments range from ten to sixty dollars. Um, it's a sliding scale based mm-hmm. on how much income you have. And it's people that are need their credit hours for their certifications or getting a doctorate degrees. And um, they supervise uh, those hours and are able to help a lot of people. And they already have a lot of people in the restaurant and bar industry. That's and so, so
0: important. Can you say the name again of it?
1: Capital Area Counseling. And so we're going to donate um, money that's kind of earmarked to people that work in the restaurant and bar industry in Austin with the hope of... Perhaps turning it into a a larger endeavor inspired by Mike and Sherry, and yeah. maybe even named named after their um the legacy that they've started without even knowing that they were doing it just yeah. by being there and being supportive and a, and a cheerleaders for people in the industry and champions of the people that yeah. do the work day to day and um yeah, I'm hopeful that you know we can throw a party and do one thing that's that's good and maybe it'll. Go into something bigger that can help more people.
0: I mean, I am blown away by Austin in that particular way because uh, people take care of each other in such a, such a fundamental way. From uh, the people in the in the restaurant and bar community here, um, do and you know people talking about the check-ins and everybody's worked together, at yeah. some point and uh, you know and people have been through some stuff, public and private, and uh, you know and I think have really. You know stepped up in a you know in a really uh, a meaningful way. And you know it, it was so interesting that you said that it was uh, regulars who were doing this because, you know, I, I talk to a lot of restaurants around the country and they say, well, you know, what do we do? We don't have the money for for this. And I tell him like one of your regulars is definitely a therapist or a counselor of some sort. Um, You know Matt Jennings, uh, who is one of my heroes. uh, You know he stepped out of of restaurants and has started um, an amazing hospitality business. You know geared toward the wellness of the people in the industry. He himself has been you know gone through a tremendous transformation, and he you know it's trading. Uh, you know sort of meals for spin classes for people who uh, who who work with and for him in the restaurants around there and I always say to people like you know there is sliding scale there is you know trade-offs of all different kinds of ways and you just have to think about it creatively
1: people that work in restaurants have all the same problems that all human <laughs> beings have
0: I'd say mm, I, I, I'd also say there's a chi- my theory tell yeah. me if I'm wrong to the chicken and egg theory I feel like there are a lot of people who maybe you know they they grow up they, they realize you know nine to five office job is not right for them they maybe don't have a family structure that is super stable there's a reason that they you know are the kid who you know starts working at a restaurant when they're as you know as soon as it's legal in their state and they find a community in the kitchen in a, in a way that they might not have in their traditional like you know family format or something and they, they find that and then sometimes behaviors that or tendencies might be exacerbated by the life of the, the kitchen and Things are cyclical.
1: I think there's definitely truth in everything you just said. Um, I think sometimes some people that have the most to give in the hospitality have many of their own personal challenges, yeah. you know, think of servers and, and bartenders as well as cooks and, you know, just, but it's such a vast industry. Uh, I think I've been fortunate to be a part of all the kitchens I've really been a part of have been really good yeah. environments. But by virtue of how massive the industry is, there's just so many people. Yeah. And people are people. I mm-hmm. mean, the industry, I think, certainly responsible for part of the, I don't know, the challenges that yeah. people face. but
0: There's some, some st- systemic you know, stuff that's being uh, For sure.
1: And not all. There's out. some great restaurants Absolutely. and some that still yeah. have a lot of work to do. But, you know, if you wash dishes in a restaurant you you have parents because you exist in the world mm-hmm. and you may have kids yeah. or siblings yeah. and you may have challenges with that part of your Absolutely. life. You may have physical or dietary or like, and just the same problems that anybody has. And maybe the environment you're in is stressful and that contributes in it. And it's just people, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. we, I'm always surprised I think you can never assume uh, that you know what's going on in someone else's life oh one billion percent you know when someone happens, is having a bad day and you're like what's up with you and make fun of them and it's like well actually like and that's a, Yeah. i I've learned that that is just you just don't make your opinions ahead of time about somebody because mm-hmm. you just don't know and um, yeah I mean I, I think people that work in other industries may want to help the mental health of people that work in those industries and that's for sure mm-hmm. you know a worthwhile endeavor and for me and what we're doing it's it's restaurants and, and hospitality and so that's you know a a passion for us i guess
0: well i bang the drum that uh customers need to know guests need to know about they need to give a crap about the people who work in the restaurants in the same way they do about how the chicken was raised like really it's uh i feel for of course kitchen people in a, in in a very fundamental way but Front of house people, I feel for them because they have to have a smile on their face, and uh, take care of people even if they're having the crappiest day on earth.
1: Yeah, I think most people are fun, and there's a handful of people that aren't so fun to maybe serve, and yeah, that's part of the business. And I, I don't know, we try to have the perspective of like, yeah, you get to be try able- to win everybody over. Yeah, you know, some people. Danny Meyer's a great quote that some yeah. people are happy when they're unhappy. Yeah,
0: some people and love so to complain. Like, yeah, it's like that's their happy
1: place. Is just like being unhappy but you could probably sense that when somebody walks in the door yeah, I mean, you just kind of take it as a challenge to your hospitality <laughs> of like you take a step back and it's like what can I do in this situation to turn this around and right. in every situation it's different sometimes it's just acknowledging that like hey the thing that we sent out for you you didn't like and like we're so sorry about it and like you don't mm. want anything else but like here I am I'm the owner the manager and like I really appreciate you being yeah. here and I'm so sorry and that's, that's what they need or send him a dessert or you know whatever you know it's always different
0: there's some emotional tetris that
1: is (laughs) emotional tetris i like that i'm gonna use that
0: (laughs) that you know (laughs) i there's just so much that can go on there but i do want to circle back to uh opening a restaurant seem that uh, from you know i i have dear friends who i have seen through that process and I, there are a few things like I can imagine that are more uh, stressful because there are so many moving parts that you wouldn't even expect. I was talking to a friend yesterday who, like, you know, didn't realize like you have to get these ramekins and you have to get the you know these licenses and then you have to get you know all of a sudden the electricity you know the person hasn't come to do that permit yeah. yet.
1: I mean, I had been fortunate, I guess, to be a partner of starting two other restaurants. So I had been through the whole process from (laughs) architectural plans to buying plates to construction and doing a menu and a soft opening a few times. Uh, What was different about this place was I had to make the choice to, you know, I really wanted to do this project with all the same partners and it just wasn't in the cards. And I, and there was a choice that if I wanted to do it, I had to go do it even if no one else was going to be my partner. And that was a really different feeling. Um, And scary. Um, Yeah.
0: How do you? How did you deal with it? How did you take care of yourself? I almost like
1: in the in the decision to like make the offer to buy the property and then put the money down to like say like I have 90 days to come up with all the money to close in the contract and a bank loan and investors. Yeah. I like forced myself to do it from like I mentioned. I was like, this is what I've been saying I've wanted to do my whole life, Mm -hmm. and here it is. And what am I not going to do it because I'm scared? Yeah. Like. I've been saying that this is what I've been working so hard for all this time. Yeah. And now I'm not going to turn back. And I'm glad I didn't because it it worked out, but it was really stressful, uh, especially the period of like trying to to raise all the money to close on the initial purchase of a property was like, you run out of time. If the contract expires and you're not there, like that's the end. (laughs) It worked out and, um, I learned a ton about yeah. myself, mm-hmm. um, about, you know, the nitty gritty of like construction or all the different details of the yeah. actual work, but also about, you know, trying to get better at managing my own stress of like
0: You said I you mean, got personal... physically
1: Yeah, I got I had an allergic reaction to antibiotic that Whoa. I think combined with my stress, yeah. um, I got like the most severe allergic reaction you can have to antibiotic called Steven Johnson syndrome. Where like oh my gosh, you, it's an autoimmune reaction to antibiotic. Where my whole body basically turned red, and the danger is that your skin can fall off, and then you're like what? a okay, you're what? like a burn degree victim all over your body. Oh
0: my god! I went to the
1: hospital for a few days. You and have I, skin
0: in the game. Yeah. Oh, you literally like oh, my
1: my vision got screwed up for three months because it affects uh, all the mucous membranes in your body, like yeah, your skin and the way your yeah. eyes uh, secrete tears. And uh, I'm lucky I don't have any permanent damage from. Um, oh my god! From my episode with that, but yeah, I went to the hospital, had great medical care, and they gave me steroids to reverse the allergic reaction I was having to the antibiotic. Um, and luckily, my skin did not fall off, although it was. I, whoa. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Um,
0: I think of myself as a professional stressor <laughs> and, uh, and the thing is I like, I read your book uh, as well. <laughs> I am going, I wish I had a copy. I'm going to mail you a copy of my book. <laughs> I mean, the thing is like, I, I pick my own skin off. Sorry to be gross, but, uh, people who know me really well <laughs> know that they can look at my thumbs. And if my thumbs are bleeding that, you know, you, you can, uh, <laughs> visual here. It's pretty, uh, they, they heal up pretty quickly, but it's not great right now. They're a little scarry. There's some, you know, they don't, it doesn't look awesome. Um, um, people know that I turn my hands into hamburger when I am <laughs> stressed and, you know, and, uh, I have had, you know, gut stuff. Uh, sometimes it's like a rapid heartbeat, but like, yeah. I, I have never heard of like the skin fall. I'm so I, glad was, that you I are here. I was having here an allergic
1: and, reaction to medicine and then combined with like, I was wound yeah, so tight. Yeah. Like having this be the first project I did and no one does anything by myself, yeah. but I was, you know, outside of any yeah. partners. Um, and, like, literally coming down to the wire of, like, am I going to be able to finish all the legal documents with the yeah. investors and raise the money and finish everything with the bank, like, in time yeah. to uh, close with that, how fast that was approaching? And I was really stressed out, and that didn't, that didn't help the allergic reaction that my body was having. And, um, and. Is your wife in restaurants? No.
0: Okay. So, how did she deal with? Uh, this? We
1: we didn't know each other at that time. Oh, you
0: didn't. Oh, okay. So that so I didn't get. I didn't know the timeline on that. Yeah. So you so you had you met after this. Yeah. So, oh my God. Does she, how how is your stress level now?
1: And I think the only person that really believed that this was going to work from the very beginning was Roxana. And for me, okay. maybe knew that it was. Yeah. You know, she I saw I doubted everything. Yeah, I, but you were. So I you were dating, did.
0: or you didn't know each other at this time? Not... not, not at that time. Oh, okay, yeah.
1: We met after, and there was plenty of stress left to go around after <laughs> we bought the property. But you know, yeah. had to then come up with design and architectural plans yeah. and like design to a budget and buy all the kitchen equipment yeah. and hire all the people and like there was there was plenty of stress left at that point. And
0: I, I need to do interviews with uh, she, partners. I mean, she, I have a few, but
1: um, was pretty even-keeled and like definitely yeah. was. A great support to like tell me like no, it's gonna work and like you're gonna do great and like um, I, you know, I think there's part of that kind of cathartic when you're communicating all your stress. Where like you don't listen to it when people tell you it's gonna work, yeah, but it's nice to hear. And it was always you like she never it. gave up on me or it or like yeah. telling me that like it was gonna work, um, and. I think a lot of people's traits can be strengths and weaknesses. And for me, it's like always doubting stuff and overthinking stuff yeah. is in some ways a strength because, you know, you come up, you solve problems or are able to fix things or find good ideas and in some ways a weakness because sometimes I drive myself nuts or the people around me a little bit nuts. And uh, like I'm working on that and I think I'm more self-aware of, of that part of me than maybe I was before. And also, I think the stakes will never quite be that I shouldn't say never (laughs) it's hard to imagine that they will feel that high to me than it was doing it for the first time when it felt like I told myself like if this doesn't work life will go on if this place fails and I have to do something else like I will be able to do something else with my life but I didn't want that feeling and um, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself yeah Um, I guess I was just very lucky to meet some really great people to work with. And um, I, mean, I believe, I don't want to sound like I didn't believe we would do something good because mm-hmm. I absolutely did. But always a lot of self-doubt and, you know, along the way.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. You showed me a picture of your dog. Did you have the dog at the time? No. Okay, so the dog... Because I know for me, my dogs are my probably my biggest anti-anxiety, <laughs> thing, in addition to a little medication. But, I, I mean, it, all, all it takes is one of them flipping over and showing me their belly.
1: And for <laughs> sure. When people find out that I'm married to Roxana and she's uh, born in Mexico, they kind of all make sense. They're like, oh, that's why yeah. you opened a Mexican restaurant. And the funny thing is that I was really down the path of being obsessed with masa and working on it before we met. But of course we share a passion for Mexico and Mexican food yeah. because I was, you know, doing this project, but you know, she, very inspiring to me. Um, uh, and she was an industrial engineer in Mexico, oh, uh, wow. working for Kraft foods in, in Monterey, Mexico, like in the cookie department where they're like, <laughs> all the cookies are made for America. Oh my
0: God. <laughs> and she
1: left that job to start a little, uh, IT business with her brothers. Um, and then the recession happened in 2008, and they yeah. folded the business, and her and her mom started uh, a business selling crafts and things made by artisans in Mexico, mostly yeah. women in rural communities, selling on consignments like festivals in the U.S. and like Laredo and Chicago, and she started a business called Acumal, and... Um, She was living in Colombia and applied for like a startup incubator for social entrepreneurship in Austin and has an uncle that lives here and applied and was like, "Okay, we accept you. And they gave her like five thousand bucks of seed capital. But they're like, but you have to move to Austin. Yeah. So she moved to Austin. Oh, my God. And (laughs) there was another um, girl who started a farm called La Flaca, which we buy a lot of stuff from for Suerte. And they were in the same program, and we invited us both to the same party, and we met at that party. Oh, a good story.
0: That is a really good story. And
1: Roxana was, um, she didn't so much work on like the design of the restaurant, mm-hmm. like the fabric and all that stuff. Was people for me and I yeah. met before I knew Roxana, but she was instrumental, and would not I would not have been able to achieve like be, get, like logistically like working with all these one-off artisans that yeah. make stuff in Mexico and yeah. organizing the purchase and logistics of shipping the stuff and getting it all done on time. Like she worked really hard on helping all of that stuff.
0: That's such a, and that's wonderful that you have that, that partnership that's and a, fun. a creative we're gonna go collaboration back to Oaxaca in
1: April. And oh. uh, we're going to visit Graciela from real Monero and La Chichara, the woman who makes the ceramic plates. And oh. I think it's, I think my life is so much richer because I, I, I now have family in Mexico and, yeah. um, and a part of my life that I can kind of, I don't know, it's just like the world, the world is bigger because of, of, um, of those relationships I have.
0: I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And what would you tell 10 years ago, Sam, about what, what do you wish he knew?
1: That's a good question. I don't know. I always was uh, pretty ambitious and pushing. And, like, I don't know if I'd tell him not to be like that or to, like, relax because it's going to work out. Because, like, I don't know if it would have if I wasn't always, like, (laughs) striving to get better and chase the dream. Um, I don't know. You work on yourself and then things fall into place when you're in a good spot. Yeah. And I'm still, you know... Doing my best to try to exercise more and be thoughtful about you know what I eat or not getting too wound up with any thoughts in my own head about a stress related to the business or anything else. So
0: yeah, no, I think that's really good. So this is a question I ask everybody, um, and this is the Oprah part of it where <laughs> you know she sort of promoted the thing like the secret right. <laughs> uh, where I believe in saying things out loud to the universe, so somebody's going to find it and and hear it. You, uh, the first thing you did was shout out everybody else on the, on the team and all the things they do and you take care of them. What is the thing you want for yourself?
1: I don't know. I'd probably need to think more about that. Someone gave me that advice. They were like, write down the three goals that are most important to you. And that's homework that I still need to do. Cause I feel like if you figure that out about yourself, it'll kind of guide what things you say yes and no to mm-hmm. and um, I don't know I'd like to keep keep growing what we have I mean we're taking on another project which I'm really excited about you mm-hmm. know too early to talk about what the, right. what the concept is going to be but I'm excited to <laughs> please make me your first phone call <laughs> <laughs> I will maybe <laughs> um, yeah I don't know I just want to keep it going like this has been a wild ride and I think this is a really special place and I just want to Hold on to it and see like where it takes me and do something that is is a good contribution to the world of um, food and and people that people are saying like I I'm glad that place exists
0: so okay then let's leave a note for future Sam <laughs> here what do you think is the thing that would make you happy
1: I mean, I think it's so much of everyone that works in this industry that works so hard. You identify yourself by the the restaurant that you have, or you're a part of, or the work that you do. Um, but really, also, you know, we're all people outside of our work too. So I don't know. I'm 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 happy because I love what I get to do at work. Like I truly love every part of what I feel lucky I get to to be a part of. Um, I'm excited to travel with. Roxana and see see more of the the world and learn never stop learning stuff um i think all those things will hopefully continue to <laughs> make me happy
0: hey future sam <laughs> take yeah. note of this so i have five questions i ask everybody here's this, this sort of speed round it's, a, it's i say speed round and people are like whoa i don't have to think about that question <laughs> what's your comfort food
1: Jewish food, like bagels and stuff like that. I mean, I grew up um, around that, so I love that. I think Mexican food is certainly a, mm-hmm. a comfort food for me now. Is there a dish in particular
0: that you're just like, ah, oh. like how I to love stress pasta
1: it? too. Like I don't know. I'm like I'm naming too you're many. You're a carb guy. <laughs> um, I roast a chicken almost once a week, and oh, like I'm. The best. I've got a good method down. Um, What's your method? You want it? I do. Okay, cool. So. Um, when I'm going around the farmer's market, I usually buy chicken from Richardson Farms. Um, they do some great poultry and I, I salt the bird inside the cavity on all the skin, uh, the day before and let it sit in the walk in my refrigerator on a wire rack, like uncovered. And then the next day I make a compound butter with like whatever I've got. Usually always with some micro plain garlic and lemon zest and a little bit of herbs, maybe like chili flakes, um, and I put that under the skin of the chicken. And then I do a little bit of, just a touch of oil on the outside and I do it as low, however much time I have, I try to do it as low as possible. Because the thing about roasting a bird is like you want the breast and the leg to be cooked at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I'll start it with the breast side down because the breast is what will dry out. Um, so the legs up and like no trussing anything, just mm-hmm. you know hanging out there. And so I'll do it at like, if I have the time, I'll do it at like 250 with the fan okay. on and let it go till it's like almost all, or like just all the way cooked, almost all the way cooked, take it out of the oven, turn the heat up to like 375, and then flip it over with the breast side up, and then just try to get some color on the skin. Mm-hmm. And that's my deal. And I love I love roasting chicken, so. I'm coming over for chicken. <laughs> I would love that. Oh
0: my God, that sounds so good.
1: If you come back to Austin, please tell I me, am, I would love to roast <laughs> the chicken for you. That sounds amazing,
0: <laughs> oh my God. I um, Next question, what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional?
1: Um, well, I just went to Tampico, Mexico, where Roxana's from, uh, for her uh, grandfather's funeral. Oh, and I'm he sorry. Was a pretty, no, it, it was there was a few sad moments, but it was really a great time to be with uh, with her family and yeah. uh, to be together with folks. And we went to there's a great seafood restaurant down there called Los Curicanes, and we went there with her mom and dad and brother, and it was just um, I don't know, it was a great energy just between the um, the five of us just having a bite to eat after this, you know, ceremony of um, the funeral of her grandfather. So,
0: Oh, that's lovely.
1: I think restaurants can often be a place of comfort for people that they want to go to and enjoy when to celebrate happy things or to feel comforted in times of loss. And um, that's a, that's a bit of a sacred thing that I think people in the industry get to be a part of, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and on the flip side of that, what is the last meal that somebody cooked for you in their home?
1: Roxana probably. And does our home count nope. or another home? No, <laughs> somebody um, else's the house. The one that I really remember is there's a um, Raj Patel and his wife Minnie. Oh yeah. Uh, had us over for dinner and they made Indian food wow, and wow, that wow. was outstanding and fun to be with them and a, a delicious food.
0: Wow. What did they, What did they make?
1: She made uh, and I might not get all the names of the dishes that right and. Um, see if I could she made sag which is like the sauteed oh, greens sag. yeah um there was a uh, a curry I believe with like uh lamb um there was basmati rice um and there was Indian whiskey
0: Oh, because I I think the only, and this is pure ignorance on my part, like, Umrah is like the only, like, Indian spirit that I know of, and I'm sure there's, it's a fast, fast, fast place. If
1: we can go to India sometime, let me know, because I want to be on that trip. I, every time I get a window into, like, the, I think there's a similarity with, um, and I should have mentioned this before when you asked me about Mexican food, how diverse the regional cooking of Mexico is. Yeah. And I'm sure India has this I so much diversity, just, too, that I look want to learn so much more about. I
0: have a person for you to talk to. I just sat down with Romy Gill, who is an incredible chef. She actually uh, cooks in, in Brighton in England, but she is such a great champion of regional Indian food. I'm going to send you her list of restaurants that she sent me, like all over like different parts and you know outside of bangladesh outside of the like you know mumbai like all the regular things i'm gonna send you her list Uh, um next question this is (laughs) another putting it out to (laughs) the universe in case this person is listening what living musician would you want to cook for and what would you cook for them this is to draw them into you
1: (laughs) wow living musician yeah because we had to do that otherwise everybody's like johnny
0: cash (laughs)
1: can I take a pause to think through my, like, my mental oh, yeah. ability yeah, to recall Like that It's funny that question stumps that people.
0: So I'm going I'm to go to the next uh, question. Okay. Then you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. What do you do?
1: Uh, swim. Really?
0: Do you have a... Like, where do you swim?
1: I swim at Deep Eddy. Austin has these two treasures of, like, uh, natural water, Barton Springs and Deep Eddy. Deep Eddy has lanes, so you mm-hmm. can go there for exercise. And... Um, it's naturally fed spring water. So there's oh, very wow. little or no chlorine in the water. And it's just so refreshing in the summertime when it's a hundred degrees out and there's just this cold water oh. and like, I find if I don't know what to do or I'm stuck and I can find the space or time to exercise, it always helps. Yeah. I'm not going to say it solves a problem, but yeah. it always helps. I always feel better being in your and body. So if I have a chance to do that, um, I mean, that's, that's just, you know,
0: yeah. You're you're not off the hook for the musician question. I know I'm like
1: thinking about
0: <laughs> Yeah, what what thing like, you know, I think like what have I played more than anything else okay, on my one
1: th- that I'm thinking about <laughs> is um and I'm watching his documentary on Netflix and uh, Luis Miguel. Um do you know who Luis Miguel is? I do not. He's Please tell Mexican me. He's a Mexican singer and it's only available for Netflix Mexico. Oh wow. But you have to get someone that you knows account in Mexico or something that has Netflix and watch it. Luis Miguel is like I mean, I'll make his, his, he's referred to as the son of Mexico. Okay. A little bit like the Michael Jackson of Mexico. Mm-hmm. He started singing when he was just a boy and is all of these amazing songs. I discovered his music because we went to a wedding in Nuevo Laredo uh, with, for one of Roxana's friends. Nuevo Laredo is just on the border from Laredo. And we drove and crossed the border in our car and went to the Best Western. Typically in America, you know, the Best Western is not like the best of hotels. <laughs> the Best Western in Nuevo Laredo was one of the nicer uh, hotels. And like this wedding was like an absolute rager at the Best Western with total disregard for rager, any guests the best Western. <laughs> sleeping, you know, just like loud music. And they had a big projector and they were projecting music from the eighties, which was like some of the golden times for Luis Miguel. And I was like, this guy is an absolute king, like on stage from the '80s, singing these amazing songs. And like, I was like, who is this person? And I kind of rediscovered some of the music. I think he's playing in San Antonio this year, and uh, you have to and go. Laredo, I have to go. And you have to cook. But I would roast him a chicken. I wouldn't make. I mean, I would love for him to like come try yeah, Mexican yeah, yeah. food, but I think it'd be a really fun. And the documentary about him is so compelling. Um, he's had a very challenging life, yeah. and. Um, yeah, I would make roast chicken for Luis Miguel.
0: Oh my, Luis Miguel, if you are <laughs> listening to this, hit up Sam. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much to our guest today, Sam elman Moss.
1: Thank you. And I'm y- so happy we got the chance to meet yesterday and to uh, it talk was, today. It was, it was
0: <laughs> faded. I think. So where can people find you on social?
1: Um, the Instagram for Suerte is at SuerteATX. Um, I don't do much with my personal account, so i say that's the the, the best one. (laughs) So
0: I guess you just have to come in here and and meet him and meet for me and then meet uh, the people in the kitchen making the incredible masa and, uh, yeah, come on down and, uh, you can find links. You're going to be able to find links to everything in the episode description. Thank you to our producers, Jennifer Martnick, Alicia Cabral, and Amy Frank. Thank you to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, write a review or rate us if there's something you'd like us to talk about or a guest you'd like to hear from, please let us know and you can find me on Twitter at kittenwithawhip. Find out more about the show and catch up on all the episodes at foodandwine.com and on Food & Wine's YouTube page. Thank you for listening and take great care of yourself until next time.